It's NBL Nation with Matt Chechens and Nick Lakovic. Regular season is done and dusted. We move on to the business end of the season. Welcome back to NBL Nation. Matt Chechens is my name. Nick Lakovic, as always, my co-host. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Matt. The NBL finals are set. The Wildcats extend that impressive record up to 31 years now, but it was tight. Tight was an understatement, leaving it to the last four seconds of the last regular season game to secure that playoff spot. An impressive result for the Wildcats and uh, great to see that they came up big when it was required. Last night, the MBL Awards over there on the Eastern Seaboard. Let's go through them. The Referee of the Year, Vaughan Mabry. I don't really want to comment on the referees, but congratulations to Vaughan. You must echo those thoughts, surely, Nick. What I can congratulate on him and every official is the commitment and effort that goes Mm. forward to doing it. Uh, Has it been an inconsistent year from officiating? In my opinion, yes. But somebody has to win an award, and congratulations to Vaughan. Well, the next award was very tight, and that was the Rookie of the Year Award. Slim pickings as far as who was actually eligible and who had noteworthy seasons. But Anthony Drimmick from the Adelaide 36ers takes it out. He took 41 votes, just nosing out Shay Illy from New Zealand, who had 37. Yeah, and Illy started to step up in a greater role towards the back end of the season with some injuries to Webster and Abercrombie and the change of imports. And he performed very well, but I thought Drimmick brought a new dimension. And as the season went on, the confidence grew. He understood his role. And he's been effective for them, and particularly during that run where they won a lot of consecutive games. The two standouts for the Sixth Man of the Year award. Now, the criteria was that the gentleman had to have played more games off the pine than in the starting lineup. And Rotney Clark and Mitch Creek's names have been bandied around throughout the season, but it was Rotney Clark that won it 46 votes and Creek 37. So, congratulations to Rotney. Yeah, and such an effective player in that role off the bench for the Hawks and has kept them as one of the top two teams in the uh, the NBL for the majority of the season and coming in and giving them a spark in scoring at about 17 at a clip a game uh, has been impressive for the Hawks. The Darnell Mee slash Damian Martin Defensive Player of the Year <laughs> award should be named after one of those gentlemen. Tory Craig from the Brisbane Bullets, 41 votes. He edged out Mitch Norton, 22, and Jamil McKay, with a podium finish, finishing third and 20 votes there. But Tory Craig, with his length and athleticism, takes it down. Such a versatile player, led the league in rebounding. He's always there with his hands on the ball, creating opportunities in passing lanes. And so versatile, as I mentioned, can guard one through to five. So a deserved winner, in my opinion. The one category that didn't require a drum roll was the award of most improved player. Everyone in the league worth their salt knew that Nathan Sobey was going to take this one. What a growth story this has been for the Adelaide 36ers and Nathan Sobey. Uh, he has blossomed into one of the finest players that Australia is now producing and now Adelaide are benefiting from it. One of our guests twice on the show throughout the season, Joey Wright, a good friend of yours, becomes the third coach to win the award three times, the coach of the year, most deserving there, the regular season champions. Yeah, he's been impressive and whilst they've kind of in some experts' eyes have fallen off the perch a little bit towards the back end, Joey doesn't do anything that's not designed and mm. uh, he, he's very strategic in everything and the belief that he instills in that player group and creating a system that plays to their strength this year is the reason why he's won this award and they've had the success they've had. Before we jump to the most valuable player award for 16-17 in the NBL, let's look at the second team and the first team. Second team, a couple of Sydney Kings making this lineup. Very disappointing season 
for them. Kevin Lish and Brad Newley make it. Nathan Sobey earns a nomination there. Tory Craig, who won the Defensive Player of the Year, as we previously mentioned, and kick it after a 50-40-90 season, earns that spot there. Interesting selection in my mind. Yeah, it is. Uh, statistically, you look at his numbers and you think an impressive performance for the year, and it is to average those through the course of the entire season. But the team struggled, never really had any real breakout games where he was dominant like mm. he had been previously. But in saying that, there are a lot of players in his position that were injured through the course of this year that probably uh, enabled him to squeak in there. But taking nothing away from him, anyone who does, wins a all-star a nomination into mm. the first or second team deserves it. Sobi, you know, he's been terrific all year. Kevin Lish had some injury concerns, but the former MVP uh, once again carries a the load there. And Newley, I thought, was terrific mm. in his return. And what's a credit to the Australian contingent in the league there? Four of those five players, either Australian-born or naturalised. You look at Lish, Sobi, Newley and Kickett. So... The game looking strong in Australia and obviously the returning of those big men as well. You look at Best, I went down with injury, mm. Anderson as well. So, you know, the league's still looking strong. Let's look at the first team, Randall, no surprise. Casper Ware making it. Uh, Prather's had an outstanding season. DJ, easily the best big man so far this year. And AJ Ogilvie rounding out the all NBL first team. Yeah, if we have a look at the backcourt, one through to three, Ware, Randall and Prather, that's an impressive point guard with two wings out there and you've got so many combinations in that and you have a look at what Casper Ware did you know Melbourne was struggling at the start of the season came in and put some big numbers up on the board consecutively you know in 20 point games and a 38 point game in a blowout performance against the Wildcats but Randall third in the league in scoring only player in the history of the 40 minute game where he's averaged 20 plus points and five assists Mm. incredible performance this year When we return, we're going to have a look at the National Basketball League's most valuable player for this season and also wrap the final round of the regular season, which was round 19. 98.5's NBL Nation. Last night, Jerome Randall became the most valuable player in the National Basketball League for season 2016-17 and deservedly so, 143 total votes. Casey Prather, a great individual season from the Perth Wildcats, 107 finished second. And Kevin Lish, a top three finish with 82 votes. The three standouts there. And you could probably throw Brad Newley's name into there as well. But Jerome Randall, streets ahead as far as the most valuable player voting system. Yeah, the benchmark in the National Basketball League this year, without a doubt, was Randall. His scoring presence, his ability to be able to distribute the basketball, making clutch shots, the pull-up game that he's brought, the size that he has. And now he's turned into a leader with a young Adelaide team. And helped with Joey Wright shape this team right now in a championship contender and taking some of these young guys under his wing. Um, He's been impressive. Um, This guy's an elite performer in the National Basketball League. Congratulations to Jerome Randall and an impressive display from the Adelaide 36ers. Not only the regular season champions, but making uh, an impact with all the individual awards in 2016-17. Time to wrap NBL Round 19, the final round of the regular season. And Cairns getting a home win over Adelaide and keeping their season hopes alive, 89-85. to 85. Cam Glidden with 16 points and Trice chipping in with 15 in a game which only saw the league's most valuable player play 11 minutes, Nick Lakovic. And as I mentioned earlier, everything that Joey does is by design. There are some pundits out there and experts uh, perhaps saying that there were some greater in- 
incentives for Joey and I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying that this game was controlled by anyone but he rested Randall and we can say he rested him for a reason Mm. and maybe Cairns winning this game Matt uh, had an outcome in some different teams not making it Melbourne United being one of those Daniel Johnson only played 19 as well and Sobey 25 minutes so down on their season averages but Cairns let's credit them 20 to 3 for points from Adelaide's turnovers. So plus 17 in that department, securing them the win. Now, Cairns were down four at three-quarter time, and they dig deep in the fourth and edge Adelaide 25-17 in the final term to get the win. And you look at the players that were playing down the stretch there and in the game, and, you know, little Doyle played 13 minutes, Tease 18 minutes, Deng played 18 minutes. You won't see those guys, unless they're playing and in the game and hitting shots, mm. play that many minutes. Unless they're in severe foul trouble. Absolutely. And in this game in particular, you saw you know, both Randall and Johnson were kept under 20 minutes and rested them, uh, preparing them for the playoffs. And to his credit, uh, he feels that that's the best thing for this Adelaide team to have success come semi-final time. What an impressive home win for the New Zealand Breakers, briefly keeping their season hopes alive. 88-70 to 70 and effectively... Ending the season of Melbourne United, 18 points to margin. Dillard, what a player he's been since arriving in the league. 16 points and 8 assists. And Kirk Penny, one of the more consistent scorers for the New Zealand Breakers across the season, 15 and 7. And it was all the little effort areas that won this game. They outscored them massively, as you mentioned, in the second half. But their ability to be able to put pressure on the ball take their shooters out of the game. You know, Melbourne United shot terribly from the perimeter in this game. And on the flip side, New Zealand did a really good job of putting pressure on the glass. 17 offensive rebounds. That is so disappointing for the Melbourne United squad because their season's on the line and to have no heart or desire on the glass. So this is what I'm talking about, those effort areas on the floor. New Zealand did everything right. They came well prepared, they came focused, and they were hungry to make sure that they came away with a win in this game. I want to credit the Breakers for their season because they looked down and out. Mm-hmm. Webster went down, Abercrombie, they've had injuries throughout, imports galore coming and going for them. And for them to get right to that very last day of the season, that's an impressive effort. Look, the number that jumps off the page for me, Nick, disappointing for Melbourne United, five assists yep. as a team and 10 turnovers. Yeah, but this is a team, Matt, that runs off isolation offences or out of kind of middle on ball, wing on ball, pick and rolls, and they, they don't move the ball extremely well. It's not a part of their structure and what they do. One of their main KPIs is taking care of the ball, getting shots up rather than turnovers, and when they couldn't hit and the pressure was delivered from New Zealand, um, New Zealand were able to get out in the run outs and and uh, take care of this result. So a big market team, Melbourne United, take a nosedive. When we come back, we'll look at Perth hosting the Sydney Kings, the Hawks and Bullets, Adelaide and Cairns, and that final regular season game between United and the Perth Wildcats. NBL Nation on 98.5. We're family. Welcome back to our show. Matt Chechens and Nick Lakovich here. Before we continue, we need to let you know that the biggest name in the National Basketball League, the Hammer, Shane Hill is going to join us later to preview the semi-final series coming up in the NBL. And the Canadian Hammer joins us, Nick. Ruth Hamblin for the second time to discuss the WNBL action and the Perth Lynx booking their spot in the playoffs. It's Hammer time all the way around. It'd be good if we had MC Hammer, oh, a bit of background music. Yeah, we should try and uh, play a little bit of that maybe in between our segments this evening. Let's have a look at continuing our wrap of the final round of the regular season. Perth hosting Sydney. Big win for the Wildcats, 101-74. to Very disappointing season in the final wash-up for the Kings. Casey Prather, outstanding. 29 points, 
six assists, and Bryce Cotton with 21 also. The first time they have scored 20-plus in the same game. Very simple in this game. They did what they were supposed to do against an undermanned Sydney team. Uh, they were obviously carrying some injuries. Kevin Lish you know, was limited in his minutes towards the back end of that game. They lost Whittington to, a, I thought, a pretty tough call and an ejection on his second technical. But in saying that, I loved the way that the Wildcats played in this game. And it was obvious watching the game in the stands that they've made some big adjustments offensively, the freedom they had, the pace they played at, and the ability to be able to space the floor and stretch the floor and be effective with both Cotton and Prather, as you mentioned, is going to be a key for this team moving forward. 25 assists for the Wildcats, contributing to 55% from the field, gets the job done. The Illawarra Hawks got the job done also, 106-79 to in a must-win game for them. Oscar Foreman, 26 points. He was 8 of 16 from downtown. However... Appalling perimeter defense played by the Brisbane Bullets. A story of their entire season in that one game was on display. I mean, the amount of breakdowns that happened and guys, their awareness was just no engagement at all. When you've got a guy like Oscar Foreman and once he gets a sniff, hits one, you know what he's capable of doing. And to then be able to finish the game and hit eight of them Mm. and the team finishes hitting 14 threes. You know, this is a team that we know can put up a lot of points in a hurry, and boy, did they do that in this game. 72 bench points, too, if you don't mind. Now, Tory Craig, an admirable effort, obviously lacking support from his teammates, but 30 points and 18 rebounds needs a shout-out. Adelaide and Cairns. Well, Cairns secure second spot. Who would have thought just a couple of weeks ago they were sitting bottom of the NBL standings? They now secure second spot. Trice, 18 points. Glidden, 16 points, 5 assists. This is a tale of two separate halves. Adelaide in the first half looked in control. We're playing at their pace and their tempo. And credit goes to Aaron Fern and the coaching staff. They flipped the switch on this in the second half. You know, they're big guys or they're big name players in this game for Adelaide. I feel Daniel Johnson needed to do a little bit more in this game. And Sobey as well, played 33 minutes, only had six points. He did have seven assists, but he has to start to learn to make some adjustments now that teams are really going to key in on, in on him. And in my opinion, looked a little bit tired and fatigued in this game. So that's going to be a bit of a potential concern moving forward in the playoffs. The Taipans were clicking. They put up a 33-point third term after trailing by nine at half time to secure the win. 46 bench points. Weeks with 16, Way 14 and Egwu with 8. A dangerous team with a bit of momentum heading into the playoffs. Melbourne and Perth, must win game for the Wildcats. 96-94, to 94, a two-point win that came right down to the death the final couple of seconds. The Wildcats dodging a few bullets late in the game and wouldn't, don't want to use the word choke, Nick, but they really managed to sort of tense up in that last couple of minutes but fell over the line and secured that spot in the playoffs. Listen, they did what they were supposed to do. Uh, they banded together. They fought hard. They showed courage at certain times. They got through some adversity through the course of the game with Damian Martin picking up some early fouls. I thought Matt Knight started to perform at the level as you expect him to. Jamil was tough towards the fourth quarter and finished plays. Mm. Um, And then you have the performance of Casey Prather, 26 points, 11 assists in this game, and he was unstoppable and unguardable. And this is what makes this team so dangerous. Out of middle on balls, he was coming off, finding McKay, shooters lifting out of the corner. Cotton was effective again, but their end of game situations will need to be reviewed. They had, in my opinion, probably McKay in at the back end on a sideline out of bounds play where they had to inbound to him, and he's not the preferred player to have on the floor. I thought Bryce Cotton should have missed that second free throw to put him up fourth. 
because all of a sudden anything can happen. Four seconds to go. They hit a three. It's a two-point game. Mm. The Wildcats advance the ball. Could have got a five-second call. Could have got a foul off the ball. Turnover. A lot of things. But to their credit, they closed the game out and they won and they're in the playoffs. Yeah, a sluggish start from the Wildcats and Jesse Wagstaff, a couple of big threes to get them over the line. Time for a breather. Coming up next, we're going to wrap the WNBL action for round 18, the penultimate round of the season. We are the nation. NBL Nation on 98.5. The defending WNBL champions have hit their straps at the perfect time of the season. A comprehensive win over the former league leaders, the Dandenong Rangers, 83-66. to Standish, 22 points and 9 rebounds. And Bakovich is 15-12. and 12. Influential in the Townsville, continuing their run towards the playoffs. Influential is the understatement of the year. This Townsville team, as you mentioned, has certainly found the right rhythm at the right time of the season. Matt, the thing that jumps off the stat sheet in this game was the 62 to 18 points in the paint. 83 points in total Townsville scored. They couldn't contain anything on the interior, and that's why Townsville are finding the momentum at the right time of the year. And Dandenong did themselves no favours. They shot a paltry 32% from the field. Well, Melbourne went to Adelaide and got a 13-point win. Matty Garrick, 22.6 rebounds leading the way. Adelaide, as they've done throughout the season, Nick, leading at halftime and in this game, three-quarter time, couldn't get the job done. They were up one point at three-quarter time and just couldn't clinch a victory and hold on down the stretch. Credit goes to Melbourne. The fourth quarter, they went 33-19 to in the fourth mm. to forge ahead and come away with a great victory. Yep, and let's look at uh, Planeta's 25 points, 9 rebounds, and Hodges, 18 and 15, obviously wasn't enough for the Lightning, who would surely be looking forward to the end of this season to start rebuilding for next year. Nick, the Sydney Uni Flames took down the regular season championship, 81 to 77 over the Dandenong Rangers. Not a good weekend for them. Hampson was superb, 16 points, 14 boards. She was, and well supported by Belinda Snell, 17.6 rebound, and Mitchell, Lanani Mitchell, 19 points. But here's the difference with this team right now, Sydney. They've got firepower, and the firepower comes from the perimeter. They were 12 for 23 from the three-point line, 52%, and it was Snell, 5 from 5, and Mitchell, 4 from 9 from the land of plenty. This is a dangerous team, and hence the reason they have clinched that minor premiership. The UC Capitals hosted Bendigo, a 25-point win for the home side. Waring's 18 points and Tolo, 14 and 10, getting the Capitals a much-needed win, their season hopes still alive. Certainly, and it was up at seven at halftime, and they hold Bendigo to four points in the third. Can you believe this? Yep. And that's what got them across the line to win this and, as you said, try to secure a playoff spot. Yeah, and it's going to come right down to that final week of the season. We'll preview that a little later on NBL Nation, but four points in a term is just not going to get the job done. Perth and Melbourne, a game on paper that the Lynx should have taken care of comfortably, went to overtime where the Lynx prevailed by six points, 87 to 81. They got the job done, but they made it difficult. Down the stretch, you know, Whitcomb was superb. Mirovic, 17 points, 13 rebounds. Whitcomb, 22 points. But there was an opportunity there to put that game to bed with 13 seconds left. Carly Mirovic was fouled, missed the first, hits the second to her credit. Game goes to OT. And in OT, Whitcomb, five points. And Butler, four mm. points in the overtime period to secure the win. Yeah, and Butler had that first field goal, a big three there. Started the ball rolling in overtime. And the Lynx get the win. Sydney Uni, 
Well, they will finish on top. Perth in second, Townsville third, Dandenong cling to fourth. With the UC Capitals, the only team that can reach Dan, Bendigo, Melbourne and Adelaide, it is season over. The Canadian Hammer, Ruth Hamblin, joins us again on NBL Nation on the other side of this break. Don't touch your dial. Wildcats, Lynx and the rest of the NBL and WNBL. It's NBL Nation on 98.5. Joining us for the second time this year on NBL Nation, a college standout WNBA draft pick and Perth Lynx superstar Ruth Hamblin. Good evening. Hello. Tough win in overtime against the lowly ranked Melbourne Boomers, but it must have been a pleasing effort and obviously securing another finals appearance for the Lynx and a, and a chance to go one step further than last year's grand final appearance. You must be happy. Yes, very happy. That was a tough win on Sunday. Melbourne came out and gave us everything they had and we managed to come out on top, so that's always exciting. And to secure the bid for playoffs is even more exciting to... Yeah, all the hard work we put in the season is not going to go lost and we get a chance to yeah, go one step further than last year. Mm. Talking about hard work, Ruth, I've seen you down at the Bendat Centre putting in the hard yards, uh, long, arduous time training, doing a range of different exercises, cross-training, uh, things like that. Your growth as a player has been impressive to see through the course of the season. Has that been the big difference for you in excelling through the season and playing with some real consistency? Definitely, yeah. My game has grown so much since coming here, and it's been great to play on a team that has the resources to help me as a young player grow in my game, you know, with great coaches like Andy and then even Daryl, our strength coach, to be able to work with him and improve my movement and stuff. Really seen a lot of progress throughout the year. Ruth, you've been in the top 10 in rebounding blocks throughout the season, but you've upped your scoring. You're now averaging in double digits 10.5 points per game. What specifically have you worked on to improve your offensive game? Is it footwork or is it you know, actually finishing around the basket or extending your range? I think it's been working on just having a lot of poise on the catch, not rushing my shot, and just kind of in that taking more time and making the defense react to me instead of reacting to them has been huge and just improving my shooting percentage and things like that. How much of an adjustment period was it for you when you first came out here and Uh, getting an understanding of this disruptive nature of style of play that Coach Stewart loves to run, the constant movement, well, let's call it organized havoc on offense. Yeah, it's definitely something that I'm still kind of, I would say, learning in a lot of ways, but definitely took that first month and a half to really kind of join into the system. And especially for me, I've never played at this tempo before, played pressure defense, so it was a huge learning curve initially, but it's a fun way to play the game and I wouldn't go back now. Ruth, how's the feeling in the group now? Because finally the team's firing on all cylinders, healthy bodies on the floor and a bit more depth now on the bench. A great group of girls and we all love each other on and off the court. And so getting to battle with these girls every weekend in and out is just so much fun. Even though you've secured a spot in this year's WNBL finals, Dandenong will be playing for their season on Saturday. You'll be on the road and then have to back it up against Bendigo. How important are these two games for the club in gaining some momentum heading in towards the playoff series? Yeah, these are huge, not only just to secure that number two seed, but yeah, just for our momentum heading in, you want to be going into playoffs confident and firing on all cylinders, like you said. So I think just for us going out and just battling hard for 40 minutes both days is going to be just huge for us. Ruth, are you a little surprised at the form of Dandenong? A month or so ago, they handed the Lynx a heavy loss on their home floor and they're on a bit of a downward spiral at the moment. Yeah, it's kind of been interesting to see, but they're definitely still the same talented team that they've been 
they were earlier in the season. So don't know exactly what's going on, but I know that they're going to come out really hungry on Saturday. So it'll be, that'll be really big. I know it's early in the week, but has Andy identified anything that the team needs to focus to secure a valuable win this week? Because a one-on-one split would secure that second spot on the table. Yeah, I think that's definitely something we'll be going over during training this week. So we'll get into the scout a little deeper, but yeah, just kind of focusing on us and continuing to excel in our strengths and making them react to us is also going to be huge. Ruth, big news during the week. Sammy Whitcomb has picked up a deal in the WNBA with the Seattle organization. Are you looking forward to potentially locking horns against Sammy? Because uh, you're in the setup at the moment with the Dallas organization. Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, it's definitely a little different. I definitely prefer being on the same team as Sammy just she's such a deadly weapon. But I'm just so happy for her, and it's great to see her dream come true and just all the hard work that she's put in, and she's such a phenomenal player. She deserves every second of it. You've seen what she's been able to achieve on the floor. How will that transfer into the WNBA? Are we expected to see the Sammy Whitcomb or the Blonde Bomber here knocking down shots from the perimeter, you know, exactly what she's going to be able to achieve in your opinion over there? I think it should be a very direct transfer. Yeah, her game is one that'll suit the league. It's a very fast-paced league, and she plays at that fast pace on offense and defense and really kind of, yeah, just brings the heat. So it'll be really great to see her taking her game to that next level. Ruth, it's been great to witness your progression throughout the year individually and providing that low block presence, particularly on offense. And and we love your work on the glass and, and on defense as well. We wish you all the best. The big road double this weekend against the Rangers and also the Bendigo Spirit. And we look forward to seeing you in the playoffs back in Perth very shortly. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. 98.5's NBL Nation. Thanks again to Ruth Hamblin for joining us this evening. Always great to catch up with her. Let's have a look at WNBL round 19, the final round of the regular season. The Capitals will host Adelaide. That's fifth versus eighth. Now, if the UC Capitals win both their games, they could be a chance to make postseason action. Dandenong will host Perth. That's fourth versus second. Sydney Uni against Adelaide. You would presume that Sydney United would win that. The Game of the round, Nick Lakovich, is Townsville versus the UC Capitals. That's third versus fifth. Now, if UC defeat Adelaide at home, which you probably think they would on Thursday night, Mm -hmm. this game on Saturday could determine a lot of things because should UCC beat Townsville and Dandenong lose to Perth, there is then a three-way tie for positions three, four, and five on the standings. And head-to-head, they've all got three wins each. However... UC played Townsville for the fourth time. I don't know how they're going to work out the different splits. For me, I like Sydney Uni to win. I like Townsville on form to beat UC. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you on all of the above. I know we understand that UCC will be desperate. I agree they'll win that first game against Adelaide, and that'll be the important one to put pressure on Townsville and the other results. But isn't the basketball in the country of Australia been great to watch, both in the WNBL and the NBL this season? Now, Melbourne will host Bendigo on Saturday. Then Sunday, the Lynx play their final regular season game away to Bendigo. That's six versus second. If it should stick to form, then the standings we predict mm-hmm. would be Sydney Uni, 18 and 6, First. Perth, 17 and 7, Townsville, 15 and 9, and Dandenong, 14 and 10. You see just missing out there with a record of 13 and 11. But it's all to play for, and you never know what could happen because Dandenong. 
could finish anywhere from third to fifth. Same with UC as well, as we said. So should UC and Townsville end up on the same record, just those two and not Dandenong? So if Dandenong win, Nick, and then UC beat Townsville, UC will actually sneak in because they have the head-to-head and it'll be 4-3 against Townsville. What a game that is, and it's all to play for. However, let's just say that Adelaide produce another shock and all all of that goes out the window. We don't want to write off any teams, but it's going to be a very interesting round in the WNBL. Speaking of interesting, one of the biggest names in the National Basketball League will join us on the phone. Hammer time, Shane Hill coming up. NBL Nation on 98.5. We're family. Welcome back to NBL Nation. One of the most respected basketball minds in Australia, who's a four-time Olympian, two-time Gays medal winner, and NBL champion Shane Hill joins us. Welcome back to NBL Nation, Shane. Yeah, good to be back, fellas. You're looking a million bucks. I saw your picture up on Twitter last night, the NBL Awards in Melbourne. Any surprises last night for you? No, not really. I, I thought the only award that could go either way uh, was the best six man, and I thought Rodney Clark did a great job this year. But I also thought that Mitch Creek you know, had a great season off the bench, and I think he probably rebounded a bit more, probably a little bit better defence, but uh, Clark certainly scored a few more points. Yeah, 46 to 37 there, the final vote count. That was one of the more keenly contested uh, awards. You have a look at Anthony Drimmick and Shay Illy. That came down to the wire as well, but Drimmick getting the chocolates there in the Adelaide 36ers, uh, an impressive season, obviously, on the floor and scooping some of the awards off it. Yeah, oh, I mean, I can't believe that Illy and and Drimmick are even close. I thought Drimmick really started to get better as the season went on. And, you know, I thought whilst Illy can be a good defender, I thought he was very erratic and turnover prone this year. So he's still got a lot of work to do, but certainly capable. What was your take on the coach of the year, Joey Wright, taking it down? Just the second 36ers coach to win it and the third coach to win it three times. Yeah, I mean, I think he deserved it. I think when you looked at his roster at the start of the year, uh, there was a lot of unknowns and, and probably had one of the um, you know least talented, particularly benches in the competition. So I think for him to finish on top um, certainly deserves it. But at the end of the year, being so close, you look at someone like Aaron Fern that you know he really had his team playing well at the right end of the season as well. So I really think that the coach of the year should be decided after the championship, to be honest, because mm-hmm. this is when we're really going to judge how the teams play. Shane, Defensive Player of the Year, Tory Craig, didn't make the all-first team. Is that a surprise to you? They put Daniel Johnson at the four and AJ Ogilvie at the five. In my opinion, I would have slotted Tory Craig in at the four and put DJ at the five. Yeah, I agree with that. And then, you know, the other one for me is probably controversial for you guys, but you know, I thought Brad Newley had an exceptional season in the three spot. And uh, I thought he actually outplayed Casey Prater over the whole season and we saw Casey just have an unbelievable last weekend he was incredible so if we can keep that form going that's great but yeah probably I, I definitely didn't think that AJ is an all-star five um, centre this season yeah kick it was a surprise for me in the in the second team I know statistically he had a solid season obviously a 50 40 and 90 but he lacked throughout a couple of games and you know the bullets really needed him to step up through the season what are your thoughts on that yeah, I mean, I think Kix is going to be one of those guys that he's never going to be the star of the team. I don't think he's going to carry a team. Um, I think he's going to be a complementary player. So there'll be times if they're down on numbers when they were with Bearstow that he doesn't have that capability to step up and go and get 30 at a stage where, you know, it's a crunch game on the road. It's just not his go. Now, Adelaide obviously sweeped uh, a lot of awards last night. 
What was the general feeling uh, and did you get much of a chance to speak to any of the Adelaide guys uh, moving into the first round of the playoffs into the semi-finals now? Generally, you find an overwhelming response of confidence when you win major awards like that and particularly uh, an MVP in Jerome Randall. Do you just sense that this could be their year this year? It's just so hard to pick, but it's, it's a good question, Lacko, because we did a media day with some of the teams and mm-hmm. Adelaide were really interesting. They had a very much an attitude of, we don't like Illawarra, we can't wait to play Illawarra, we're, we're glad we're playing them and it's us against the world. They carried that with such strength and uh, I actually loved it. And then with every award that happened last night, I'm not sure whether you guys read it or saw it, or, but every time one of their teammates got an award, Joey Wright and the rest of the guys that were there all followed yeah. up and stood behind yeah. them as a show of, of unity. And, uh, you know, it was certainly um, a statement to everybody else. They probably feel like they're against the world. Um, but I loved it. I thought it was great. And that's that's Joey to a T, isn't it? That's what he epitomises. And you could see, uh, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show today about, you know, he's very calculated in everything he does. And there was, you know, there was the, the game where in Cairns he, he rested Randall. He doesn't have a lot of good relationships, we could properly say, with the people at Melbourne. And it's very calculated in everything that he does. So this is a planned approach from Joey. Would you agree? Oh, no doubt. And he, you know, has them believing it is them against the world. And with some of the actions that they've had, some of the decisions, as you mentioned in Cairns, you can tell there's certainly a rift between them and and the hierarchy at the NBL. And that's okay. But the interesting thing for me is this first game. And you could tell there's a lot of passion from Jerome uh, Randall against Kevin White. They don't really like what he's done in the past. And they're looking forward to being able to match up against him and guys like AJ Ogilvy. I think they're going to target AJ in that first game. Shane, how important is momentum heading into the playoffs? The 36ers, a four-game losing streak. That's never been seen before by the regular season champion heading into the playoff series. How important is that going to be? Well, I think it's really important. You know, and I was, I was surprised that they let some of those games slip. They look like they didn't really have a go with the way they subbed and, and rested players in cans. But make no mistake about it, they tried to win that game uh, in Adelaide. Joey didn't want to go in with a four-game losing streak. Um, in saying that, I think that they're at a stage where they can bounce back in game one. I think they can actually hand it to Illawarra. They're down in that series. I think it was 3-1 in that series, mm-hmm. Illawarra to, to Adelaide. Um, and there were some really big margins going either way. Um, but some of those games went all the way back to the very first game of the season, so a lot of things have changed since then as well. The two best scoring teams in the National Basketball League, Adelaide averaging around the 92 points per game, Mark Illawarra at 89. It's going to be a contrasting semi-final series if you compare that with the Wildcats and the Taipans. Do you expect a shootout in this series between the 36ers and Hawks? Yeah, I mean, we literally could see a 25-point sort of swing in, in what the totals will be in those games and you know we know the way Perth want to play we know the way Cairns want to play and, and you know really look after the ball hard togetherness on defence where Joey Wright and Everidge they just want to get out and get shots up so you know, it really will be a high scoring game if people are making their shots we know defence is probably going to be a dirty word in, in most cases they'll be talking about it but I don't think neither either team is very good at it Ham, I want to put you on the spot. Who do you believe has the coaching edge in a three-game series out of Joey Wright and Bevo? Wright, as we said, the coach of the year, 49 votes. Bevo snapping at his heels with 35. 
when it comes down to the crunch, who has the edge in the Brains Trust? I think it'll be pretty even with the Brains Trust. I think it's going to come down to which of the big players are going to step up at the critical time. We know exactly what Joey's going to do, um, and he doesn't change what he does too often. We know exactly what Bevo does, and he's done it forever. You know, I question playing 10 players, whether they've got big-name players and the, and the gun players to step up uh, for the Illawarra Hawks. I think Rodney Clark will. I think he'll put up some big numbers. I think Adelaide will really go at AJ Ogilvy, and he's a question mark for me. If he's the superstar on their team, you know he really needs to be averaging you know 16 and 12, and and to be able to carry that team. But I don't think that'll get done. Well, one of the areas last year and over the the last couple of years for Illawarra that has been their downfall or their Achilles heel has been their defensive rebounding, their rebounding as a whole. This series. You know, as you've mentioned, you've got Ogilvy, Ellis, Foreman, aren't really hard nut, hard guys that attack the glass in that regard, even though AJ did rank in the top three in rebounding. Do you see Johnson, Hodgson, Jacobson, Creek, these guys being the difference in this series in the in the front court? Yeah, I really do. Um, and that mindset of what they have. I mean, how could AJ not lead the rebounding? Mm. He's six foot eleven, he's an athlete. If he wanted to lead the rebounding he could go and average you know, 10 or 12 rebounds a game, but he doesn't do it. Mm. I think uh, the question mark on AJ is how he performs in big games yep. and pressure games, how he performs on the road. And we saw that last year. It was non-existent for the Warrior Hawks when they got to the playoffs and were playing big games on the road. And he virtually got bullied against the Perth Wildcats. So, you know, whether he can make adjustments and come back with a different mentality and whether he's learned from it is a question. I think the answer is no. Yeah, it's a great point, Hammer. Ogilvy just 7.5 rebounds per game. A man of his stature. DJ is going to play a vital part in this series. And what a season he's had. He's really turned into a stretch player now and a threat on the offensive end of the floor. Yeah, and I, I think his success has come from having you know guys like Jerome Randall that's going to create for him. Um, there's not as much attention on DJ. So he'll get a lot of open shots. He's been active. He's always been a pretty good rebounder for somebody that doesn't have the athleticism. He's a positional rebounder, which does well. Uh, and Sobey now, with being able to put points on the board, um, creak in the three position, he's almost like a fourth string DJ as far as the attention that, that he gets. And because they're playing up and down, they have to really clog the lanes to be able to keep both Randall and Sobey out. So I think um, you know he, he's the beneficiary in a lot of cases. He'll be important. You touched on the relationship between uh, Kevin White and Jerome Randall. I want to take a quick look at the backcourts. Randall, Sobey, Tease. You throw Creek in there as well, even though he swings between the three spot. Uh, but he is that kind of point wingman as well. And then you've got Clark, Norton, White and Martin. Uh, Marvell Harris, I, I guess, could, is that other that fourth guard for them. Where do you see Adelaide holding an advantage in those areas of the floor? I think they hold an advantage in nearly all areas in, in all the players that you just mentioned. I mean, when you look at Jerome Randall going head-to-head uh, with Rodney Clark, I think he gets the advantage there. I don't think that they've got anyone, uh, Illawarra, to be able to compete with Sobey. But the question mark on Sobey is, can he get it done in the finals mm. after having an amazing regular season as well? That's a question mark. Um, but then when you, when you look at uh, Creek, versus the Illawarra American. I mean, I don't think it's even close. Yep. Um, and I think the mentality of it as well, I think these guys have got their backs up. I love the attitude that they're together. And they feel like they're against it. I think the effort levels are going to be pretty even, but I just think Adelaide will be superior. 
you're liking the 36ers by the sounds of it, Shane, in how many games? I think it'll probably go to three. Um, Illawarra can certainly hold serve, but it wouldn't surprise me to see Adelaide winning two straight either. But uh, it'll be interesting. Uh, there's going to be a lot of feeling, and, and I love that. I love the spice of it. Uh, there's a lot to talk about, and there's genuine sort of passion and feeling that I, I'm feeling, I'm seeing from the Adelaide 36ers. So it's going to be worth tuning in for, that's for sure. Let's have a look at the other semi-final pairing and Cairns Taipan's going on a run at the perfect time of the season and securing second. We'll host the Perth Wildcats first game in the north of Queensland on Friday. Now, Nick pointed this out as something that the Taipans had their club awards the night before and then travelling down with such an important series on the horizon. Were you surprised to see them in Melbourne? Not really. I, I, I think... You know, they want to try and do the right thing for the league. Mm. Obviously, it's better with the awards night and all of the key sponsors there that um, three or four of the players and the head coach make an effort to be able to get down there and, and be part of it. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. Will it take away from them on Thursday night? I don't think so. Mm. I think that um, they had their training. They, they got in late on Monday afternoon. They were part of the festivities. They've left early this morning. They'll be back on the training track tomorrow. So, no, I thought it was a good effort from from, uh, most of the teams making it. Hammer, this series over the regular season finished 2-2 and and could have easily have gone a number of different ways with the Wildcats escaping with two overtime wins over here in the West. A controversial finish up in the first contest up in Queensland. Cairns are the second-best three-point shooting team. Do you think Fern will take the air out of the ball or, as he normally does, or does he need to let Trice and Glidden make plays for Cairns to win this series? Well, I think the mindset has to has to change depending on where you're playing. And at home, I think that you know when they get stops and they get opportunities to be able to run against the Perth Wildcats, they need to take that. And particularly against the pressure of the Wildcats. When, when Perth pressure full court, they have to be aggressive and they have to try and score off it. And I think one of the mistakes teams make is they actually beat the pressure and then they pull it back out and run a play. Mm-hmm. And to me, that works in the Wildcats' favour because they get a chance to steal the ball and then they get a second chance to be able to get a stop. So mentality will be important with that. But then, as we know, when you go to Perth, you do have to slow it down. You have to make sure that you don't turn it over. You've got to keep Perth off the boards because we know they're so good um, at rebounding. And, and you don't want Prather to get open looks on the uh, in transition we know he's one of the best in the competition at it uh, and he generally plays so much better at home Shane in my opinion this Wildcats team is built for this end of the season um, you see the way that they closed out the season with a, a instrumental win in Melbourne against the United team well why was it instrumental I think playing on the road and actually having a win a do-or-die game uh, is going to give them a lot of confidence in that area. But it was probably the way that they went about playing the game over the last few weeks. The game against Sydney, we all agreed that they should have won that game convincingly, and they did. But I've noticed, and having a look at the game in detail, that they've made some significant changes to their offense. You know, they've got some spacing, which is now different. There's a lot of action with both Bryce and Casey coming out of wing and middle on balls. And not only that, they went to a smaller lineup for the majority of the game where they rotated the five men between three guys in McKay, Brandt and Knight. Do you see that being their area where they can really start to play with a bit more freedom with that smaller lineup? Yeah, well, I, I think they have to, but I'm not convinced that that's still in their DNA and that's how that they want to play. You know, I felt like... I didn't feel I was convincing in Melbourne. I felt like they were playing against a team that had nothing to play for. I felt like 
they needed to go down there with the mindset to crush Melbourne. And mm. I thought they were really average on defence in the first three quarters. Mm. It felt like they gave up way too many open looks. They were lucky that they weren't down further and that they found a way to be able to get out of jail. And let's be honest, if Casey Prather hadn't have stepped up and done what he did, they would have lost. They wouldn't have been in the finals. Mm. And credit to him because we know that it was probably a mental barrier he's had to get over to be able to start playing well on the road because he's been horrendous when he gets on the road. Uh, unbelievable at home. We know he's capable of doing exactly what he did. And the most impressive thing for me against Melbourne was that he had 11 assists. And this is a player that averages more turnovers than assists. So to have 11 assists, two turnovers, I thought was um, the biggest positive they can have. Still question marks on the way Matty Knight's playing. I know he got a few points up, but he was very aggressive, a lot of perimeter shots. And I, I think they do have to continue to have movement on offense like you spoke about it, but I'm only seeing it in dribs and drabs. It's not nor- the way they normally play. And I think they're going to have to have a lot more of it. And they're going to have to prove that they can win on the road, which they really haven't proven over the last couple of years. They didn't win one finals game, even though they won the championship last year. Now, they started Brandt against the Kings because of the marriage lineup, and then they went with McKay against Majuk Majuk. Who do you see him starting at the five spot now with Jawai starting for Cairns? Because that's a pretty uh, big factor that they either go conservative in trying to defend him down one end with a bigger body in Brandt, or they go aggressive and lift him into on balls and put McKay out there where he can put his head on the rim and create some space and catch him in rotations. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I, I like McKay at the offensive end. I think if he can get his feet set uh, and turn and face against someone like Jawai, I think there's more chance to get someone, uh, Jawai, into foul trouble. Mm. I think they can be aggressive with that. The, the thing with McKay, you just can't give the ball to him when he's on the move. He travels all the time. Mm. He doesn't have great hands and feet and that coordination. But uh, if he turns and faces, I think he's good and it gives him another attacking option. The, the problem that I see with the Perth Wildcats is their pick-and-roll defensive stages um, with McKay isn't great. Mm. I thought he was really average in the pick-and-roll against the the Sydney Kings and uh, especially when they drop that big man back and the guard starts running at them it creates problems and we saw that on the flip side as well in the Cairns game where Cairns broke down a number of times out of pick and roll defences as well you know that defensive side of the floor with guys like Damien Martin out there is going to be probably the key in converting stops into runouts and easy baskets who do you think in this series based on Cairns having the edge with two games at home uh, which way is it going to fall? Well, I think, like we said before, you can make arguments for both teams because it's just been so close in the matchups that they've had. And I like the fact that both teams are capable of winning on the road. They've had close games, and Cairns have been exceptional to be able to go there. They'll have belief that they can go and win in Perth, but they won't be scared about that. One of the things that hasn't been spoken about is the fact that I think that Cairns tighten up a little bit at home. Yeah, and I think they've done it for a long time. They'll be great at stages, but if the game gets close, and I think they had some big leads against Perth, and Perth found a way to be able to get back, give themselves a chance at the end of the game. There's no doubt they start to tighten up at the end. Sean and Jesse will be playing, in my opinion, large roles in this series. Do you agree? Yeah, well, I think if Matt Knight's not playing well, and they keep the legitimate fives in the centre then I think that can happen. And I thought Wagstaff was really big. He shot two big threes coming off pick and pops with Prather on Sunday. I thought that was instrumental. And, and he's not scared of the occasion. He's a veteran. He stepped yep. up and just went bang. 
So I have no doubt if they need points, Redditch is going to be the person that can change things up. If the game's not going their way, you can throw Redditch into the game. You know he's going to you know, get into Worthington and, and you know, cause some turnovers and get an offensive rebound, potentially hit some shots. So he's certainly a game changer that Trevor Gleeson will have up his sleeve. Shane, just before we wrap it up, the NBL has done a tremendous job, A, with their coverage, which you've been such a big part of. The marketing of the league has improved. But in my opinion, the league reverting back to a best-of-five grand final series is tremendous for the sport. Would you agree? Oh, without doubt. And that's the thing I like about this administration is that, you know, there's not the politics there. They don't take a big time to make decisions. They think it's the best thing. The public think it's the best thing. I'm sure the players and the coaches want to be part of it as well. And they've just made the decision and said, yep, it's five games now. You know, it's just great for basketball fans that, you know, we get to see it. I'm pumped because I get to call some more games and uh, it's just going to be an exciting final series. We're privileged to have such a, a sharp basketball mind uh, contribute to our show. Have a great call in the semi-final series and hopefully we can catch you up at some stage throughout the NBL Grand Final Series. Good on you, boys. We are the nation. NBL Nation on 98.5. Almost at the end of another show for NBL Nation. The 24-second shot clock. You all know the rules. Nick does. Starting the clock now. Who will be the NBL champions this season? Perth Wildcats. Joey Wright became the second 36ers coach of the year. Who was the first? Ken Cole. (laughs) The Adelaide 36ers are the first team in history to lose four straight games to finish an NBL season and still finish regular season champions. Who had the record prior to that? Uh, The Titans. Bryce Cotton won the regular season scoring title. Casper Ware finished second. By what margin? <laughs> point two of a point. Bad. Which club had the more disappointing season? The Sydney Kings or Melbourne United? Uh, that's a good question, Matt. It is, isn't it? That's a very good question. I will say Melbourne United. Will Dean Demopoulos be coaching in the NBL next year? <laughs> no. Out of time. You did pretty well there. Thanks. Yeah, pretty impressive. Try my best. Uh, we might get you to do the... try to stump me, so mm. they are difficult questions. But would you like another shot at the title, so to speak? Would you like to just quiz me one more time, maybe throughout the playoffs? I'd love that. Yep. Yeah. Did you did okay the first time? I did shoot over fifty percent, I think, from memory. Yeah. I All think right. I think I'll invest a bit of time next week to see if I can get you on some playoff ones. Beautiful. Okay. Let's keep that with that theme. We're going to take a very short breather, and when we come back, it'll be our final segment of the evening and we'll look at some of Nick Lakovic's answers. Wildcats, Lynx and the rest of the NBL and WNBL. It's NBL Nation on 98.5. Pretty good form from Nick Lakovic in our previous segment. Who will be NBL champions this season, Nick? Perth Wildcats in my opinion. I agree. This is a team that uh, is prepared for this time of the year. Um, They've got the experience, they've got the toughness. More importantly, they've got a leader in defence right there who has made as we saw last year against New Zealand the biggest difference in the playoffs and now they've got a young man by the name of Bryce Cotton who is going to be the difference maker and Casey Prather playing at the level that he is at Um, and over a five game series I will back Perth over Adelaide who I expect to make the grand final and believe that they can get the job done Redditch's retirement oh wow defense wins championships I think that'll stick true to form and I think they'll play 
the Illawarra Hawks. Wow. Well, two contrasting styles there. You've mm. got a Perth team that can defend uh, and you've got an Adelaide or an Illawarra team that put up a lot of points. Yeah, I like Illawarra's D over Adelaide and Matt. I think I think losing four is not a good sign for I them. I can tell you right now, Illawarra are not revered as a team who are defensive minded yeah, amongst Adelaide. any of the other teams. I think Adelaide are a tougher defensive team come the playoffs than what Illawarra will be. Okay. Let's watch those numbers. Joey Wright became the second thirty sixers coach of the year. You were correct. Ken Cole was the first in nineteen eighty six. The Adelaide 36 are the first team in history to lose four straight and still finish top. The Sydney Kings in 2006 lost two. Wow. That was previous, the worst losing record for a regular season champion to carry into the playoffs. Bryce Cotton won the regular season scoring title by a margin of one point. There we go. So Ware needed one point, he would have taken it. The final wash-up, Cotton 22.09. Where? 22.05, 22.05, of a point average. Well, I said 0.2. Yep. You were very, very close. Who's had the more disappointing season, the Kings or Melbourne United? You said Melbourne. And only for the reason that Dramopoulos has had two seasons there and he had what looked like an open checkbook. And yeah, they had some injuries. There's a lot of other teams. But they were regular season champions last year too. And that's not what I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was... You just beat me to the punchline yeah. there. And they did not look to advance any further in any kind of structural things in developing anything exceptional again. And the culture just doesn't seem to be there, in my opinion. Um, he did a reasonable job and he's got a talent pool there and I felt that they should have definitely been a playoff contender, if not a championship contender. Which brings me to that final question. Dean Demopoulos, will he be coaching Melbourne United or in the NBL next year? I don't think that they'll bring him back for Melbourne United, in my opinion. Um, I think that you can fall into a false sense of security about you know, recruiting both imports as players and coaches just because they have some NBA experience or they sit on a a bench as a third, fourth, fifth assistant coach and think that he's going to be able to transfer that skill set into the NBL. The NBL is a completely different league and having that inside knowledge and that experience sometimes can be of a larger benefit, in my opinion anyway. And I their, think Their latest imports sat on the pine for their last three games. DNPs. Yeah, well, and again, that comes down to coaching decisions yeah. uh, from him. So, you know, ultimately, he will live and die by the sort of the decisions that he makes. And uh, I, in my opinion, I don't think that he'll be coaching the NBL next year. Now, Nick, the playoffs obviously start this weekend. Yes. This time next week, potentially, we could know who the grand final Crazy. grand finalists are or a series could be heading into a third game. So very crazy times. The Perth Wildcats, we wish them the best of luck. This Friday, they take on the Cairns Taipans and will return Monday here in Perth. If you can get hold of a ticket, lucky you. It's going to be a fantastic game and atmosphere. Can the Wildcats return to the NBL Finals? We'll see next week. Thanks again to the Canadian Hammer, Ruth Hamblin, and thanks to Shane Hill. We look forward to having him on during the NBL Grand Finals Series, but love chatting with a legend of Australian basketball. On behalf of Nick Lakovic, this is Matt Chechens wishing you a very good evening. We look forward to your company this time next week, Tuesday night, 7pm on 98.5 Sunshine FM for NBL Nation. 98.5's NBL Nation.